and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Acts 14. That is a professional loud to soft. Did you notice that? <laughs> Always got you in the sound booth. I can, I can yell, get quiet, whatever we need to do. It's, it's Margo, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't even have to ask. I, you just know. You just know. She does take care of me, uh, and also the Lord uh, has taught me much patience, uh, so <laughs> uh, we are so thankful for everybody who uh, serves in so many different capacities, our, our team in the audiovisual booth and our worship team, just every week they bless us, and you, you know, but you don't know, you know there's a lot of work that goes into it, but you don't probably really know how much work goes into everything that they do every week. So we're very, very grateful to, to each of them. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 14. Uh, I am wearing my Together Conference shirt because I just want to keep reminding you to uh, register for that if you haven't yet. Uh, as Miss Audra said, you can go to our website, but I do want to just make the note that when you go to our website and click to register, it will send you to Glenn Park's website to register. Sometimes people have been like, whoa, wait a second, I clicked it and it sent me somewhere else. That is by design. We do this conference together with Glenn Park. Uh, so go to crossroad.live, register. Listen, y'all, it, it's a very short time commitment, Friday evening, and, and I, I get it, it's several hours, but Friday evening, Saturday morning, we end around lunchtime, uh, and, and that is a small time investment, and even I would say it's a small financial investment, 20 bucks a person, and a little bit for child care if you need that, but we believe this will be a life-changing weekend. We're going to have teaching from your pastors that you know, but we're also going to have uh, one of my best friends, Jimmy Neal, is going to be here from Southeast Texas to preach for us, and we're going to be encouraged and challenged and strengthened, and I really just want to encourage all of you to register and come for that. Uh, we think it's going to be an incredible time, so uh, please go to Crossroad.Live. You can find all the info there, and if you do have questions, as Audra said, ask one of us. We'll help you uh, figure all of that out. Well, for the next couple weeks, I want to spend some time here in Acts chapter 14, and I'm really excited to walk through this text as I was just praying about where the Lord would have us go, uh, kind of in the in-between season as we get ready for the conference in a couple weeks and uh, all these things that we have going on in the summer. Uh, I wanted to just really take a couple weeks to look at a text that I think will help us see what it means to live a gospel-driven life. And as excited as I am about the next two weeks, I do have to warn you, and I really regret to inform you, that we're roughly one year away from what I would call the fever pitch of the 2024 election cycle. Anybody ready? Yeah, some, if you're that person, I don't, sorry, uh, I just, we do not uh, have anything in common. So, uh, I mean, but, but I was thinking this week about the President of the United States and really the office in particular, right? Like you, you've all seen the before and after images of like when the President begins to serve and then how they look when they leave. And of course, I mean, with the last two, they're, they're I'm sorry, they're both kind of old when they go in and old when they come out, I guess, right? Like, uh, but, but you've seen these before and after images and, and how wild and stressful this job must be. Be And uh, I think that it all tends to go, regardless of politics, regardless of what you think about the position of the office of president, it always tends to go this way. And I think this is true of our current president and our last president. I know people kind of on both sides of this with both of those particular presidents. Uh, either everything that they do is incredibly awesome and amazing, right? Like even 
dare I say it, historical. I love that every administration uses those words. Like this, It's either the highest it's ever been if it's a good thing, or it's the lowest it's ever been if it's a bad thing. And every president claims that. I guess we're making history all the time, right? Uh, and, and there is a group of people that no matter how good and amazing everything may be, uh, they're always going to be upset at, at what they're doing. Then there's a group that no matter how bad things are, there's a group of people who are going to say everything is great and everything is absolutely amazing. And, and then on the other hand, no matter how good and actually some decent things could be going on, there's a whole other group of people that no matter how good things may be in the world, like that person is Hitler, Right? Haven't you seen this? Uh, like, uh, you're all looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm making you all uncomfortable because you've already identified one of these guys as Hitler, all right? But like President Obama, he was totally Hitler. Oh, he's Hitler. I just, President Trump, he's Hitler. Like, it's like if, so apparently if you disagree with the politician, they're immediately Hitler. You don't like this right now because you've engaged in this, right? All this to say, I think maybe one of the worst jobs in the world would be President of the United States. But here's what we know about leadership, whether it be arguably the most important and powerful office in the world, President of the United States, all the way down to like the elementary age school kid who's the president of the Student Government Association, it's impossible to make everybody happy. It's impossible. Leadership comes just immediately with being misunderstood, with, with people not knowing everything. Like, listen, and I don't care, I need you to understand today, you're a leader. You're leading your family, you're leading yourself, and all of us, the reality is, if you are a people pleaser in this room, do we have some people pleasers, right? Like, okay, I, I will self-identify, I am a people pleaser. Problem, people are impossible to please. And if you wonder if that's accurate, just go back and review the first three minutes of this sermon and the way you were looking at me as I was saying all of that. <laughs> like, people are impossible to please. In our increasingly polarized age, it seems that we're encouraged to play to our crowd, right? Play to your base. So if you're making people mad, then you must be doing something right. If you're getting applause from it, just lean into it harder. And the social media algorithms, our culture at large, even our own pride, kind of are making us run faster and faster into our own like polarized ivory towers, and we're just lobbing bombs at the opposition. And we look at the world in between, and it looks like a war zone. No one's winning. I don't really have a solution for that. Uh, it's a problem, right? And I don't know that it's going to get better in our world and in our culture. But what I do have today is an invitation from Scripture to a different way to live. Because here's what I want you to understand over the next couple of weeks. Applause and opposition are really two sides of the same coin. And as Christ followers, we're called to live for the mission of God, not the madness of our world. So what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is this invitation really to stop listening to the noise of the world, the noise of our culture, even the other people in your life, and instead start living for the mission of God. That's what we mean when we talk about living a gospel-driven life. We're going to see these earliest missionaries in the church, how the call of God and the gospel drove them to faithfulness in the midst of opposition, but also in the midst of admiration. And friends, both of those are dangerous drugs. 
But today, we're going to see how they responded to opposition by letting the gospel drive their decisions in their life. So let's read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 14. Then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. Are you guys doing okay this morning? Did I rattle you too hard right out of the gate? Come on now. Y'all don't give up on me. I can't believe he said that. Some of you are like, you know, just just take a breath. We're going to be all right. It's what you have to do in public speaking. You have to get people's attention. I got your attention so hard that some of you don't want to give me your attention now. Uh, So just take a breath and, and let's get to the scripture and we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand his word. Acts 14, starting in verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lysonian towns of Lystra and Derbe to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us understand your word? Would you help us see your truth for what it is? God, we we do want to... Uh, be a people who let your gospel, this good news that has so radically changed our lives, we want that to be what drives our decision-making in every single facet of our lives. So, Lord, uh, help us see your truth. Help us grab hold of it, Lord, and we just thank you for what you're going to do. What a blessing to be with our church family gathering around your word. Teach us now as we study it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, scholars have kind of debated how the town of Iconium really plays into the larger region of cities. Some say it was a a town of Galatia, the Galatians. Uh, Some say it was a part of a different kind of cluster of cities. Uh, They don't really know, but regardless of connectivity, it's pretty clear from this text and ancient text and research that you can do that this was kind of a melting pot type of town made up of people with diverse backgrounds from different cultures. In fact, some study Bibles refer to it as a melting pot of cultures, kind of what we say about us here in America. So in Acts 13, uh, we've seen the church in Antioch lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out for gospel ministry. Uh, So they prayed over them and they said, hey, we want to just send you out. We want you to go and do what it is the Lord has called you to do and go specifically to share the gospel with Gentiles. So they lay hands on these guys and they send them off. And about 80 miles away from Antioch, their first stop here is the town city of Iconium. And when they're there... They start, as Luke tells us, was their custom. This was kind of Paul's method. Even though they felt called to the Gentiles, they would usually start at the synagogue, so the Jewish church, where people believed in the Lord, but they didn't believe in Jesus yet. So they would go to the synagogue, and there they would begin to share the gospel, and they would share the story of Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at several truths about the gospel that emerge out of this text. In fact, I think we got about six things uh, that I want you to see. So you're getting like two sermons for the process of one today, but uh, it's only going to be about an hour and a half, so you're fine. We'll be, we'll be good. But you may want to write these down in the margins of your Bible by these verses, or maybe if you're taking notes, I will have them up on the screen so you can kind of follow along as we go. And the first thing we're going to see in verse one is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. 
The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now, I'm borrowing this language from Romans 1.16. Do you know that verse? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And here in verse 1, Paul, who wrote that verse in Romans, is living that out in a powerful way. In, in a Jewish synagogue where he will certainly meet opposition, more on that in a minute, here is Paul boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And, and yet, even in the midst of a very difficult place, as he proclaims the gospel, verse 1 says, a number of Jews and Greeks believed. Church, we need this simple but very, very important reminder this morning. The gospel is the only power we have for salvation. It's all we got. Our creativity will not save. My preaching will not save. Our evangelism and outreach tactics will not save. Our cool and trendy church will not save. Friends, the only power to save is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never forget that. May we never forget that it's the power of God for salvation and it's the gospel of Christ and the gospel doesn't need our help. The gospel doesn't need our help. I love the old saying, it's been attributed to a ton of different people, Spurgeon, Augustine, we don't really know who said it, but have you heard the saying that you don't have to defend a lion, you just let it out of its cage? We just got to let the gospel out. I spent, I got to tell you, I spent like, I was studying this morning like 6 a.m. and I tried to track that down. I like, who said it? Like, I'm serious. Augustine of Hippo, uh, you've got everybody. All the, all the people apparently said it. So one day, maybe like 100 years from now, it's going to be like, hey, it's like Rusty said in Wichita that one time. <laughs> Rusty of Wichita said, uh, the gospel's like a lion. Just let it out of its cage. We just have to let Jesus do his work. But I want you to note from the text a couple things. First, the gospel must be proclaimed. Paul and Barnabas, it says, spoke in such a way, verse 1 says. The gospel has to be proclaimed. I know that we love this saying uh, that is attributed usually to St. Francis of Assisi. Always preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Oh, don't you like that? Like you probably, some of you may even have that hanging up somewhere at your house. And, and listen, should the gospel we proclaim match the gospel we live yes and amen so there is some truth to that statement but here's what i want to tell you you cannot proclaim the gospel without words the best most morally excellent life will not proclaim the gospel if you don't use your speech we must be a people who proclaim the gospel Relational evangelism is fantastic. It's good. It's even needed. But there comes a point where we have to be willing to proclaim the gospel that we've experienced. Building a relationship with someone so that you can have an opportunity to speak the gospel is good. But can I just lovingly poke some of you who've been trying to build a relationship with someone for years and still haven't shared the gospel? Well, it's just relational evangelism. My life may be the only Bible they ever read. Then I've got an idea. Read them the Bible. Because I, I don't know about you, but if they follow me around a lot, that ain't a very good Bible. The reason I need the gospel is because my life's not a great Bible. 
but I know the one who has given me salvation, not because of my work, not because of my effort, but because of his grace. And that grace is available to everybody. But we got to open our mouth and share it. we got to speak up. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, friends. It's the power of God for salvation. So the gospel must be proclaimed. But the other thing we see in verse 1 is that the gospel must be believed. So the proclamation of the gospel requires a response to the gospel. The only way to believe the gospel is by God's grace through placing your faith in Jesus Christ recognizing that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did anything outside of the will of God. Yet as he hung on the cross, killed by the religious and political authorities, not only was he being crucified by the culture, but the Bible says that God in that moment poured out his eternal wrath upon Christ as he hung on the cross. The punishment for humanity's sin, all of our sin, past, present, and future, was poured out upon Christ as he hung on that cross. And he died taking sin and death with him to the grave. But the Bible says that God raised him up victorious over sin and death. So the reality of the gospel is that you and I are given this invitation to call on Jesus and ask him to be our Lord and Savior. And that in that moment when he calls us and we respond to the gospel, in that moment our sins are forgiven. Not because of our works, not because of our effort, not because of anything we did, but because he loves us enough that he sent Jesus to die die on the cross for our sins and the bible says as soon as you ask jesus to be your lord and savior that you die to yourself and you are raised to walk in new life you're a new creation so the question becomes have you responded to this gospel here's what i need you to understand friends especially if you've grown up in the church and maybe been at church for a while hearing and knowing the gospel is not the same as responding to the gospel Hearing the gospel, knowing the gospel, being able to share all the stats and the figures, that's not the same as personally responding to this gospel. The gospel requires a response. If you're here today and you would just recognize, man, I've never responded to the gospel. My prayer is that today would be the day of salvation. The power of God is here through the gospel. As it's being proclaimed to you, the call is to respond, believe, in the reality of the gospel today. Don't leave this place without talking to me or one of our pastors about what it means to know Jesus. But as we continue walking through this text, the next truth we're going to see is that the gospel will always have opposition. The gospel will always have opposition. Verse 2 tells us that the unbelieving Jews and Greeks stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Listen, y'all, the gospel is a confrontational message by its very nature. Now, I know the word gospel means good news, and there are some who have just tried to go good news, but, but here's what you've got to understand. You, you can't really understand the good news until you know why we need good news. Yeah, so many people have tried to really, and I think they've truncated the gospel by just, it's good news, it's good news, let's not talk about any of that bad stuff. But if we don't recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we don't know why the gospel is good news. But because of that, we live in a world that does not want to hear they are sinners in need of a Savior. So the gospel will always have opposition. You're going to note in this text really two groups that oppose the gospel. And first, it's kind of surprising because it would be the religious people. 
In this case, the religious Jews. These were people that relied on their religion and their good works and their moral fortitude. They, they believed they were good people. So they're offended that somebody would even suggest that they need a Savior. Well, why do we need a Savior? We've, we've got the Old Testament. <laughs> we've got the Torah. We've got the law of God, and we've been keeping it pretty good. So we're fine. I think today there are likely many religious people, even in the church, who would rely on their attendance, on their knowledge of the Bible, their good works even, and they would say, I I'm a good person. And I would just tell you, you know that, that you fall into this category if any time you're confronted with your sin, your immediate reaction is to throw out your spiritual resume. Am I the only one who does this? Okay, I guess so. Let me just preach to myself for a minute. When confronted with the reality of my sin, man, it's just like, well, don't you know what I've been doing for the Lord? Don't you know all the things that I got going on? My goodness. And I think it's easy for us to fall into that. The message of Paul and Barnabas greatly offended them because they were the ones doing all the right things. And they're, they're thinking, how dare you guys bring this message to us? If anybody needs to hear it, this is classic church people think, it's those people out there. Preach messages that those people, man, there's nothing that the church loves more, including us. I'm just going to be honest. We love us a good message confronting our sinful culture. Pastor, why don't you talk more about the LGBTQ stuff? Or why don't you talk more about this? And listen, there are times where the Bible addresses that. And if you've been here, you know, we go there when the Bible goes there. But you know why we love those messages? Because I love to talk about other people's sin. You know a message we don't like very often? When we talk about religious pride. <laughs> we go quiet for those. The amens do not come as hard and heavy on those messages. Thank you. I just wait. I was waiting. We will not move on until... <laughs> I used to have a pastor friend who uh, would say at the beginning of his messages that I preach quicker when people amen, and I always laughed. He was a guest speaker. I'm telling you, our church became an amen in church. Uh, but I'm sorry, you're not going to speed me up today. It's easy for us to say, hey, hey, preach the gospel to those godless Greeks, those Gentiles. They're the ones who need to hear this message. That's what the religious Jews thought. But then we see also a negative response from the worldly Gentiles and the Greeks. This, this message confronted their sinfulness. And here's the reality, y'all. They didn't appreciate it either. <laughs> so, so, yes, there are times where we have to confront the sin of our culture. And can I tell you, the culture will not like it. This is why the gospel is always going to have opposition. It confronts our sin and our darkness. And, and if we're pretending not to be sinful, which is essentially what humanity does either through religious performance, which is what the Jewish people are doing and a lot of church people do today, or through moral relativism, which basically is saying that there's no such thing as sin. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, you can't call what I do sin. What, whatever we're doing to try to deny the reality of sin, it puts us at odds with the message of the gospel. Because the gospel says that you are a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Oh, but the gospel's only good news to those who know they need saving. And it's only the work of the Holy Spirit that can show a person their desperate need for Christ. And that's what leads us to our next truth. The gospel calls us to boldness. 
The gospel calls us to boldness. Verse 3 is absolutely astounding to me. There's a great outcry, right? Like Jews are mad. Greeks are mad. The religious people are ticked off. The non-religious people are upset. And verse 3 says, so they stayed. Isn't that weird? You're reading along. Great opposition arises. So they stayed. The text says they spoke boldly for the Lord. Things got heated. Opposition arose. So Paul and Barnabas stayed and crept proclaiming the gospel. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? In a world where pragmatism seems to rule the day, even within the church, these guys totally should have packed up and moved on, right? It wasn't working. Things weren't good. Things were very awkward. Opposition's increasing. But what we see in the text is that as opposition increased, their boldness increased. Friends, listen to me. In a, a culture that is growing more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to get quiet and hunker down in our churches. We must be as bold as we've ever been before. And I've got to tell you, it's not easy. But because it's not easy, we need to pray for boldness. Let me just ask you, Christ follower, are you ever in positions that require boldness for the gospel? I've got to tell you, this is something I think we need to wrestle with a little bit today. Because I think we prize comfort over almost everything else in our culture. And that has slipped into the church so easy. We only want to do things that are comfortable and easy, even in the church. You know, like I said last week, we'd rather stuff a backpack full of supplies than have to, you know, love our neighbors. It's hard. We don't want to speak up. We want to do things that, that are, are easy and comfortable. But if you are going to proclaim the gospel, it's going to require boldness. Have you ever had to pray, Lord, please help me speak the truth in love right now? Man, man I know for me, even just being in situations where lately, you know, the Lord's just put on my heart uh, the, the unborn and protecting our unborn neighbors. And I got to tell you, every single time that I'm driving to one of the abortion mills in our city to stand there and plead with people not to murder their babies, it's really awkward and really tough and really difficult. And it's confrontational by its very nature. Like, I, I recognize that many people, Christians included, in fact, probably people in this room think, you ought not be doing that. And can I tell you something? I, I like people to like me. I don't like people driving by and flipping me off and saying ugly words and stuff like that to me. Not a fan. I don't like Satanists showing up and yelling at me and trying to get me to physically get in an altercation with them. It's not fun. And I got to be honest, we, we go Thursday, our ministry intern, Jaden, just trying to give him the full uh, summer ministry intern experience. So uh, some of you are like, I'm not applying for that next year. But <laughs> Thursday morning, we loaded up and headed there. And I got to tell you, I didn't sleep good Wednesday night. I, I woke up Thursday morning just anxious and concerned. And man, I just got to tell you, we had to press through. We had to press through, and we got there, and we parked, and I, we just prayed in the car and said, Lord, give us boldness to just to be your hands and feet and to speak for you in this situation. And, and it's, it's intense, and it's difficult. It's not easy. 
But we prayed, Lord, give us boldness. So we went and we stood and we prayed and we pleaded as God gave us opportunities. Listen, it may not be the abortion mill for you. Can I tell you that, that it's going to require boldness even for you just to share the gospel with your neighbor, to have a conversation with a, a schoolmate, your roommate, your family member, the people that you randomly meet. All of these moments require boldness. But what I'm saying, friends, is that we cannot allow discomfort to stop us from proclaiming the gospel in the areas the Lord calls us to. If discomfort is all it takes to get you to not share the gospel, then we will be a not sharing the gospel church. Because it's always uncomfortable. Well, Pastor Rusty, I just wish I had your evangelistic gift. I got to tell you, even when I'm in opportunities like even just sharing the gospel with random people, can I tell you that it's not like, hello, it's me, Pastor. Like, this is easy. It's not easy to share the gospel outside of these walls, even for your pastor. People say, well, that's just not my gift. I, I just don't listen. It's your calling. If you are a Christ follower, you are called to proclaim the gospel. So we got to get uncomfortable. I'm afraid that for the majority of American Christians, verse 3 would never happen. As soon as discomfort is in the situation, so they stayed would not be said of us. I think that our culture is probably only at the beginning of experiencing the cost of following Christ. And I pray that, that as it gets more difficult, as more opposition arises in our world, that we will be able to have said of us what is said in verse 3, that things got difficult, so they stayed and proclaimed the gospel. I love the promise we see here in verse 4. When the gospel is boldly proclaimed, the Lord blesses gospel work. The Lord blesses gospel work. We, we see signs and wonders being done. Miracles to affirm that work that God is doing. And listen, regardless of your theological views on the supernatural and how that works today, can I just tell you that we still have a miracle-working God? And I would just tell you to look around this room to see the miracles of God at work. The lives that have been transformed, the, the families that are growing in Christ, the lives that have been turned around, the work God is doing even in your life. Can I just tell you, friends, there are miracles sitting all around you right now in this room. The Lord is blessing gospel work. But again, that doesn't mean that everything in Iconium was happy, happy and perfect from then on, right? Like, that's almost what we want to say. Hey, opposition arose, so they kept preaching the gospel, and everything turned out great. No, no, we see that this continues. In verse 4, we see that the gospel divides. The gospel divides. Verse 4 says, But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. Listen, I'm, I'm taking this a little bit different direction than you may be thinking, because this sounds like opposition, but, but here's what I want to say to you today. The gospel ought to make a strong division between Christ followers and the world. And this is why I, I think much of the modern church today has settled for a watered-down gospel that isn't really a gospel at all. If you look at many self-proclaimed Christians today, our lives don't look any different from the world. Chapter 14 wouldn't have happened because you wouldn't have seen a difference in the Jews, the Greeks, or the Christians. 
They all mix together and everybody just lives the same way and has the same values except for what they do on Sunday mornings or Saturday night for the Jews, right? Like, it's like this is what we do. Everything's normal, no problem in our culture because we're not changed enough by the gospel to be different than the rest of the world. But here's what I want to tell you, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ divides in the sense that there ought to be a daylight and dark difference between believers and unbelievers. And I want to just tell you that as the heat gets turned up in our culture, as it becomes increasingly and what I would just say decidedly uncool and unpopular to be a Christian, as the world begins to call Christians bigots, hateful, awful people, when the world completely turns its back on Christians, I think this dividing line is going to be even clearer. And there are many people, perhaps even in this room right now, who when that day comes will find themselves on the side of the world. And if that concerns you today, can I just tell you, I'm glad. Because God loves you too much to leave you where you are today. I'm glad this is challenging you to perhaps respond to the gospel in a way you haven't before. In a way that not only saves you, but transforms you and causes you to live in a radically different way than the rest of the world. And here's where I want to comfort and encourage you today. Because despite the opposition, despite the division, despite the noise of our culture, here's the promise we find in this passage. The gospel will advance according to God's plan. The gospel will advance according to God's plan. In verses 5 through 7, we, we see the people, the opposition, really building up to a dangerous level of chaos. So much so that they're going to kill Paul and Barnabas. They say, we can't do anything else other than kill them to silence them. They're going to keep going. No matter how much we turn up the heat, they keep going. we got to kill these guys. We don't really see how in the text. Uh, but in God's providence, this plan was discovered, and Paul and Barnabas escape, and they move on to the next town. And, and I love verse 7, because we've seen opposition come, so they continue to preach the gospel. And now we see these guys are running for their lives. And let me just tell you, here's what would make sense. Why don't y'all get to the next town, lay low for a little while, you know, just kind of take the next few plays off, let things cool off a little bit in the culture, but no, what happens? They get to the next town, and verse 7 says, there they continued preaching the gospel. This is something that ought to comfort you today to hear. The gospel of Jesus Christ will always advance according to God's plan. Things around us are always changing. People are fickle. People are temporary, and God's going to move people in and out of our lives. And listen, we all long for security, normalcy, and rhythm, and sometimes God in His grace and seasons gives us that. But more often than not, life is messy. God calls us away. He leads us to in, in different directions, and sometimes people are going to oppose us. Sometimes people are going to love us, and oftentimes it's the same person. This is our world. In a fickle world full of fickle people, the invitation of Christ is to let the gospel of Jesus Christ drive your life. Trusting that in the face of applause or in the face of opposition, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. And it's always going to accomplish the purposes that God set it out to do. 
So I've really got two big questions that, that I want us to ponder today as we wrap up this message. And first, it's this. Do you know this gospel? Do you know it in such a way that you've personally responded to it? Are you a believer today? If not, the Lord is giving you this opportunity to respond to the gospel. Knowing the gospel is not enough. Hearing the gospel is not enough. Listen, even proclaiming the gospel is not enough. If you have not personally responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, today it's as simple as a prayer. There's no magic words. There's no special formula you roll out, but your heart crying out to God saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. I know you died on the cross for my, my sins. I want to surrender my life to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Your heart crying out to the Lord is what saves if you need help doing that, we would love to have that conversation with you. We would love to pray that with you and walk you through what that looks like to give your life to Christ today. The second question is this, and every one of us, even if you're a believer, needs to wrestle with this. Is the gospel driving your life today? Are you living for man or are you living for the mission? Are you living for the crowd or are you living for the calling of God? Are you letting applause or opposition cloud your sights? Or are you locked on Jesus Christ and his call for your life today? The gospel doesn't promise an easy road, but I gotta tell you, God's plan will be accomplished. And here's the wild thing, y'all. He invites people like you and me to participate in that. What greater calling could there be in your life? You know, people always, and listen, you know, motherhood, fatherhood, those are part of that calling. But you know, you see on social media today, motherhood or fatherhood or this is teaching, coaching is the highest calling you could have of all, like all these different things, ministries. No, can I tell you what the highest calling of all? Christ follower. Faithfully proclaiming the gospel and following him wherever he leads. If you're doing that, you are living the most significant life you could possibly live. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to all the voices of our culture. Instead, focus on Christ and his gospel and let's go where he leads us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just such a clear message, Lord. A lot that we've talked about. In a, in a short message, we've, we've said a lot of things about your gospel, but Lord, I pray that most of all we would leave with these two questions in our heart. Lord, that we would want to know and believe and respond to the gospel, but not only would we want to know, believe, and respond, but God, that you would actually call us to be a people who let the gospel drive our lives. That, that every decision we make, every action we take, every word we speak would be informed by the reality that you came and died and gave your life for us. Oh, so Lord, would you help us today? Help us respond in a way that honors and glorifies you.